0: wonder who followed you in this morning or what followed you in this morning. If you looked over your shoulder when when you walked into the church building, when you entered in the sanctuary or when you walked into your living room and sat down in front of the TV, if you looked over your shoulder, who was following you, what was following you? Was it the good news of the resurrection of Jesus giving you just this profound sense of peace and security. Not that everything was okay, not that everything was great, but a confident hope that because Jesus is alive, it will be. A sense that regardless of what else is going on in your life and in the world today, a sense that it is well with your soul. Or... If you looked over your shoulder, maybe despite the new clothes that you're wearing today or the smile you put on your face and the makeup or, you know, just the, the declaration of the resurrection of Jesus, that, that beneath that facade that you're still carrying the weight of the world. Maybe it's the weight of your world. Maybe it's the weight of someone else's world that you love and care about but still just this burden. And maybe with that, a tinge of guilt, because you know Jesus is alive, and shouldn't you think, shouldn't you feel better, shouldn't you not have this nagging over your shoulder? Because he lives, right? I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth it, worth the living just because he lives. But for many of you, this isn't your first Easter, right? You've been here on Easter's before and declared the the glory of the risen Lord and celebrated the resurrection and, and the hope that that brings to us. But still there's these doubts that are lurking. If you're starting today, if you're starting this Easter with more of the latter, more of that sense of anxiousness, even if it's below the surface, the sense of, of doubt or insecurity or just wondering why if we have all this hope, why am I still carrying all this weight? If you feel more like that than the former, more than, like that, than, than having this, this profound sense of peace, and, and hope, and, and joy, and, and knowing that even if everything's not okay, it's gonna be okay, that it's well with my soul. If the latter is more feels more true than the former, you're actually in really, really, really good company. The company of those who celebrated their very first Easter, the first Easter. I, if you go back and you, and you look at the story, Uh, what unfolded, what happened on that first Easter that you find the the disciples and all of Jesus' followers with this, this lingering heartache, heartbreak, sorrow, sadness because they'd gone all in with Jesus. They'd believed in him. They'd put their hope in him. He was their future, and he was gone. And in his exit, they had abandoned him denied him. And then the women go to the tomb and they find it empty and confusion and chaos breaks out. What is going on? And with that, then these stories start to circulate and, and these rumors start to spread and, and there's these conflicting Accounts of what happened. When the disciples first heard the news, I, I love this, this, is in Luke chapter 24, it said the disciples did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Right? This is just crazy. And there's questions. And then there's an investigation, they start looking, they start wondering, and they start exploring, trying to figure out what's happening, what's going on. And Jesus makes his first appearances to the women, to the travelers on the road to Emmaus, to the disciples later on, and still, and still, shock, awe, disbelief. How can this be? Everything... Everything changed that day, but not all at once. For the next 40 days after the resurrection, Luke tells us in the book of Acts that Jesus made appearances, doing this, giving convincing proofs that he was alive. I mean, how many proofs do you need? that a guy who was dead is alive, and yet they just couldn't wrap their minds around it. Giving convincing proofs that he was alive, continuing to explain to them the kingdom of God. And at the end of 40 days, questions still lingered. They're at the ascension. Jesus has been walking with them, he's been showing up, making appearances, teaching them, continuing to prepare them for what lies ahead. And his last time together with them before the ascension and the disciples say Jesus now now Lord are you going to do what we've been waiting for you to do now Lord are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel give us back our land give us back our place now are you going to make everything okay Jesus Jesus commissioned the disciples and he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what's coming. Not the kingdom you're expecting, but the Spirit. And when... Pentecost comes when Jesus is and ten, ten days later he senses the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the believers, and, and they go out, come, finally come out of hiding, and they and they go out into the streets of Jerusalem, and it's like now, now Jesus, now is it all going to come? The lid's going to come off, and everything's going to explode, and we're finally going to get what we've been waiting for, and it looks promising. Right? The disciples go out and, and they start preaching and, and thousands of people come to believe and, and the news starts spreading out to the, to, um, through Jerusalem and Judea and, and there's all this anticipation and excitement. It's like, this is it. This is the moment. And still, problems persisted, persisted because what was happening the spread of the good news, the continued work of Christ, the things that he did while he was here, here, continued to happen. People being healed, restored, people being transformed in ways that people couldn't even imagine or believe. And so the continued movement, the continued growth led to a great wave. Luke says, a persecution sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. If you read the New Testament letters that the apostles wrote to the church during this, during this time and the things that it emerged, you find two things in there consistently. You find the apostles talking about what Jesus did, what Jesus said, the teachings of Jesus, expounding upon that, explaining it to them, proclaiming it to people. You see them trying to help people get their minds around and understand and believe what it was that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. But you also find just these continuous explanations for why things didn't yet look Exactly why, like what Jesus said they were going to look like. This has happened and these things are going on, but this, hap- this hasn't happened yet. And, and this is why it hasn't happened yet. And Because it hasn't happened yet, it's still hard, but you have to persevere. We have to endure. We have to hold fast. We have to press on. It was hard. But there was hope. Through the first 400 years or into the 4th century, in 312 A.D., the Emperor Constantine became a Christian. And in 313 A.D., he issued an edict that made Christianity an officially recognized religion. You could do it now. You could worship now, you could be a church now, you could gather together now. Would this be the moment that finally all of the heartache and heartbreak and suffering ends? Could this be the time? In 380 AD, Christianity became the official state religion of Rome. And it solved some problems. It ended persecution but it also unleashed a whole new set of problems. Corruption. Arguing. Complaining. Now, Christians, the church is taking over, but it's using its power to oppress in a new kind of way. And for the next 2,000 years now, this message continues to spread across the globe. It continues to bring transformation. It continues to bring hope. It continues to bring help and healing. Blessing. Today, we celebrate that Jesus is alive. Two billion people profess that Jesus is is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we continue to navigate a world that has its own agenda. Today isn't all peaches and cream, because Easter isn't over. The work of the risen Christ isn't finished. It's not finished in the world, and it's not finished in the church, and it's not finished in your life. In Psalm 23, David wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. He provides for me. He leads me beside, he leads me to green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He gives me direction. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He protects me. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is my shepherd. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. All this David wrote about the Lord John chapter 10, Jesus is on the scene now, and he's proclaiming his message to to anyone who will listen and and throughout the Judean countryside and and all around. And, And Jesus steps up and he says, remember when David said, the Lord is my shepherd? He says, I am. I am that good shepherd. I am the one who provides I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am your sustenance. I am your director, your guide. I am the way and the truth and the life. Follow me. He says, I am your protector. I am the good shepherd, the Lord is your shepherd. I am your protector. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am your deliverer triumphing over the grave, defeating death itself, the last enemy. The last line in Psalm 23 is, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And everybody wants to know, who is Surely. As the Good Shepherd leads me. While there is still heartache and heartbreak and sadness and sorrow and pain and suffering, Easter isn't over. And the end of the story isn't in doubt. The Lord is my shepherd goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, Jesus knew what was coming. If we read the, the stories of, of, and the things that he said carefully, we, we see it over and over again. We just, we just wish sometimes that it was a little bit different, that we could accelerate the process a little bit faster, a little less pain and suffering, a little more glory. But he knew what was coming. I was um, reading through the Gospels this week, and especially through the stories of Holy Week and what happened in those last days of Jesus' life and, and the things that he said and he did. And I was, this caught my attention in John chapter 14. He said, this is like in his last conversation with the disciples before his arrest. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He says, going forward, there, there are going to be two givers. Two givers. He says, I will give you peace. I'm going to give you peace. My peace I give to you. And the second giver is the world. And the world will give you Trouble and fear. Peace and trouble and fear. And then he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And the fact that he says, do not let, would suggest that we have something to say about it, right? That we have something that we can do, that we can, a gift is something that is given and accepted and received or rejected. He says, "Where are you going to? You're going to get the, the world is offering you trouble and fear. I'm offering you peace. Do not take what the world is offering. Do not take what is giving you. Take what I am giving you." Which brings me back to the question that I asked in the beginning: Who followed you in this morning? I don't know of any Shirley's here today. Did peace follow you in? A peace that is birthed out of goodness and mercy and hope and confidence so that it is well with your soul? Because while Easter isn't over, the outcome is secure? Or did trouble and fear follow you in? And the anxiousness and the uncertainty and the doubt and the confusion about the plight that you're living through or the people you love. I never liked now and laters as a kid. They were too hard. I, even, we, I passed them out to people who are here today and if you're at home on, on, view, on online viewers, I'm sorry I can't provide this experience for you, but you can actually still buy a now and laters, I didn't even know, because they were so horrible, why would they continue to, to sell the things? I never liked them because they're hard, and they got stuck in my teeth. And, and as I was like preparing my message early in, the convers- early in my thinking process, early in my studies, I came to this Now and Later title for the message today, Now and Later. And, and it got me thinking about Now and Laters, and, and I just out of curiosity, I, I went to see if you actually could still buy them. And lo and behold, you can. But in the process, I actually discovered something else about now and laters. Did you know that the name they have, the now and later, actually um, came from the design of the candy, the purpose, the, the idea was that it's hard, hard taffy, and you would suck on it like hard candy until it got soft. And then you would wrap it back up in the wrapper, save it, and eat the rest of what's now soft taffy later. Now and later. Seriously, no one told me that. So I'm like, huh, I wonder if it really works. And it does. (laughs) It actually does. I didn't know, and frankly, even after I do know, I don't really want now and later candy. I want now candy now, and I want later candy now. Right? I, I still don't, actually, what we call it now is Starburst. <laughs> you you can you don't have to suck on it for like 20 minutes before it's soft enough to, to actually con, consume. Human nature is impatient. I went to order now and later because I decided I'm going to use them for today. And I, so I went on Amazon, which is where we buy everything now, right? I go on Amazon and behold, they're there, and I can buy this big container, of, and it says they're going to be delivered on April 15th. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that? I need them now, not later. We do our shopping and our entertainment on demand. We eat fast food and we send instant messages. Remember the mail? Delayed gratification, I contend as a parent, is one of the most important skills we teach our children. Because the things that matter Learning, relationships, any manner of success. The things that matter take time. When we insist on now, when we demand now, we end up chewing on some pretty hard stuff because we won't wait and end up stuck with some pretty difficult things later, how much trauma, how much drama exists in your life today because you can't wait? How much trouble and fear because you didn't wait, because you were insistent, I want to do this. I want to have this. I want to be this. I want to go there. I want to do it now. The human nature is impatient. And the human heart is transcendent. Solomon says he has planted eternity in the human heart. A space inside of us that is infinite. Even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. We want it all. We have this space inside of us that was made for it all. We want it all, and we want it now. And wanting everything and wanting it now is a recipe for trouble and for fear. See, the resurrection story is a now and later story. It's first fruits now and the fullness of the kingdom later. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in me. What did I say? Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Believe in me. My father's house, he goes on to say, has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am so that you may be there also. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house. It's coming. The day is coming. The house of the Lord. Don't think church building when you think house of the Lord. God's, the heavens, Isaiah says, are God's throne. The earth is his footstool. Right, what what you all the things you enjoy right now in this creation, and, and all the beauty and all the majesty and all the wonder of it, just God's footstool. The house of the Lord begins and spreads and expands beyond anything that we can ask or imagine. The psalmist says, "Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in the just the courtroom." Of God's dwelling place, the house of the Lord forever. It says one day, there is better than a thousand anywhere else. So take your best day and your most beautiful place. One day in the dwelling house of the Lord where eternity is offered it is better than a thousand days in your very best day in your very best place on this world a thousand days in Maui a thousand days standing on top of North Dome looking over the valley and Half Dome One day in the courts of God's presence. Better than a thousand in the places that we love the most. We need to know, we need to know that there is a later to persevere through the struggles, through the trouble, and through the fear. We need to know that there is a now. We need to actually not just know that there is a now, we need to know Jesus here and now. He's promised that he is with us. If we are to rest in his goodness and mercy, even in the absence, even in the waiting, even in the time between now and then. And so I have an exercise for you this week. If you're in the house today, you have two now and laters in your hand. If you didn't get them when you came in, you can get them when you leave. I want you to do two things this week with your now and laters. I want you to eat one now. And when I say eat it, I mean eat it. I want you to put that thing in your mouth like I did when I was a kid and gnaw your way through it to the very best of your ability. And ask yourself this question. As you're eating what the psalmist called the bread of anxious toil, what are you having a hard time waiting for? Where is your trouble and your doubt and your fear that you just want to be over? And because it's not, because it's not, and because it's not going away, It's like eating hard taffy and it's pulling out your fillings and it's breaking your teeth. Eat it now and ask the question, where can't I wait? Where am I having a hard time waiting? And I'm trying because I can't wait to push through and to press on and to make it happen and to bring it forward. And I want you to take your second piece of candy. I don't want you to eat it now and later. (laughs) Let me finish, all right? It actually, if you do suck on it like hard candy, it doesn't take as long as you might think. Uh, Some of you have a hard time sucking on hard candy and you bite it and stuff. You have to resist that temptation. But suck on it like hard candy until it gets soft. And you don't have to put it back in the wrapper. You can actually finish it off right away. And, and I, I got through a piece of, in a legitimate, like the right way now and later, I think it took me like three or four minutes. It can be done. But as you eat that second piece of candy, two questions. Where am I experiencing the goodness and mercy of God right now? Where is it following me? Where do I see him coming through for me? Where is he helping me? Where is he holding me together? How is he helping me get through another day? What has he brought me through already that I can say thank you for? Where is goodness and mercy following you? And what is the hope of the coming kingdom? What is the promise that you were waiting for? What is the happily ever after? Because we need to know. We need to know that there is an outcome. And that it is an outcome that we desire. And that it is an outcome that will fulfill the deepest longings of our heart. And the things that we have waited for and the things that we have always wanted for all of eternity. We need to know the end of our story for it to help us for the things that we have to go through while we wait. The resurrection of Jesus, it is now. It is for you today. And we can have the first fruits of his kingdom. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord, right here, right now. But it is not finished. Not with you, not with the world. And this story ends. This story ends. Not with a zombie apocalypse. Which is how all the stories end, right? If, in all of our movies and all the stories it always ends with the zombie apocalypse, and we talk about the return of Christ, we think zombie apocalypse, I don't want any part. No, no, it doesn't end that way. It ends with the happily ever after. Those stories we used to tell. We can't even imagine a happy evening anymore. We can't write those stories anymore. Lord, I pray for everyone who's here today, for everyone who's watching and and, and listening um, to the message today online or or will um, in coming days, God, that you would fill them with the hope of the resurrection in their now, with the assurance of your presence, with the power of your spirit to give them the strength to persevere, a hope to hold on to, and help for each day. Daily bread. And I pray too that you would fill them with the hope of your return and the fullness of your kingdom and a life that is eternal, that is abundant, that is better than anything that we've experienced yet and full of all the things that our infinite hearts cry out for. Fill us with a resurrection hope that it is now and it is later. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.